the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Lloyd's List Podcast. Oil spills from tankers have declined dramatically over the past decades as the industry has actively sought to improve what had been a very poor track record marred by devastating tanker spills especially before the year 2000. And while big spills continue to happen, as the 2018 spill from the Sanchi tanker showed, the overall improvement in terms of sheer numbers has been stark. ITOPF, a UK-based not-for-profit organization tasked with helping in spill response and teaching others around the world how to do the same, recently reported that in 2020, oil spills from tankers remained at record lows. Spills of 7 tons and above amounted to 1,000 tons in total. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Karen Purnell, Managing Director at ITOPF, about how the organization works, how the coronavirus pandemic has affected it, and the dangers that containers lost at sea pose. Dr. Purnell, tell us what exactly ITOPF does and why it's such an important organization. Yes, of course. I mean, ITOPF, I have... Uh, a particular affiliation for obviously is his managing director and I think it's pretty special and pretty unique and it has been um, in existence now for over 50 years. It was first established following the first major tanker incident that had ever occurred, the Torrey Canyon back in 1967 and we were established by the world shipping industry and their insurers originally to administer what was then a voluntary agreement to provide compensation for major uh, spills from tankers. So in fact, uh, yeah, as I say, we've been around for over 50 years now and um, we pride ourselves in being able to provide objective technical advice to accidents, not just from tankers, but all kinds of ships now, no matter where they occur in the world. And um, yeah, we, we, uh, we're, I think we're pretty unique and, and pretty special, as you say. Right. And I, you know, I want to get to the, the very evident drop in oil spills from tankers that we've seen over the past decades. But first, you know, in, in the news recently, and we've covered this quite a bit, there's been a high profile oil spill off of Israel. Uh, and I'm wondering whether you are involved, have been involved with the response to the spill. Yeah, that's that's a very interesting incident. And um, we are monitoring it. We are, um, of course, able and willing to provide our advice and experience on best practice for oil spill cleanup. And so we have reached out through the IMO and through our contacts in Israel to offer our assistance if they need it. So so that's how we're involved in that particular case. Tankers and shipping in general um, gets a lot of coverage, should I say, when there are negative incidents that happen. And they still do happen, and not just in terms of oil spills, accidents, um, containers being lost at sea. There's a lot that happens every day that needs to be highlighted as well. But I think one of the things that this industry has been able to do successfully is to sharply reduce oil spill incidents and volumes, particularly from tankers over the past three, four decades. And, you know, the numbers are just staggering. You you obviously, as I hold a very um, 
very thorough database um, on oil spill volumes and incidents. And if I'm not mistaken, the latest numbers for 2020 showed something like a thousand tons being spilled. Is that is that correct from from a certain level and above? Yes, absolutely correct. Yeah. I mean, we've been keeping records now for well exactly 50 years on uh, spills from tankers. And as you say, it's a really good news story because uh, I mean it's hard to believe that back in the 1970s there was a major spill of oil from a tanker. And by major, I mean around 700 tons spilt or more every two weeks. And now, when you you look at the statistics, there were none whatsoever in uh, 2020. You know, the last major um, incident from a tanker. Uh, was the Sanchi, which was in fact a condensate uh, incident. So yes, it's, it is a, an excellent story of how industry and government have worked together over that time to to uh, develop a framework of um, measures that support both uh, safety and uh, environmental uh, good stewardship, if you like, for the transportation of oil. So today, when you consider that the volumes of oil that is uh, carried by sea has continued to increase over that period, um, you know, 99.99% of all oil cargoes arrive safely at their destination because of this uh, work that's been done. So I think it's, it is a really good news story and it's, it's great to have the statistics to back that up. So, um, yeah. Yeah, and what would you, you you said framework there? What would you say are some of the main reasons that have driven this this drop? I mean, clearly something like this doesn't just happen because people learn how to you know navigate ships better. There has to be a concentrated effort for for the numbers to drop this much. What what are some of the main factors at play here? I would say that that learning so. Um, after every incident, then ensuring that there is um, reflection on what caused that incident, ensuring that the accident reports are um, delivered promptly so that the industry can learn from it and governments can learn from it is pretty crucial. So if you, if you look at the themes, if you like, that have led to this success story, then, then you've got um, a suite of measures that have focused on prevention, like uh, SOLAS and, and MARPAL and um, the ISM code. Then you've got another suite of um, legislation and practice that is based on uh, preparedness and response for incidents like the OPRC convention and the, um, the, the preparedness convention for chemicals. And then uh, complementing those two, you, you now have a framework for providing compensation in the event of uh, accidents of, of oil and, as, as we can see now, the, the H&S convention. So together they make a, a really strong um, basis for prevention, response and for compensating for spills now. For an organisation like yourself that, that plays this role and needs to be there and respond to something happening immediately, really. How exactly are you are you funded, and how do you use your resources for your daily activities? Well, that's a good question. I mean, the way we're funded is is pretty unique, and and uh, it's it's something that we regard 
very highly because we are funded collectively by the world's shipping industry through their insurers. So every time a ship owner buys his protection and indemnity insurance, his P&I insurance, a small proportion of that premium goes to ensure that ITOF is available 24-7 to go anywhere in the world should there be an incident and also to provide training if needed so on drills and exercises. And so we are available, as I say, to respond immediately in case there's, there's an incident, but we don't charge for our services. So it means that those that have been affected by the oil spill can benefit from the service that ITOF provides completely impartially because we're not we're not sent by any one um, particular ship owner. We, we are sent to um, provide advice in an incident on behalf of the shipping community so that all parties can benefit from our advice and ultimately do what is right for the for the environment and, and those affected. But the other thing it does is it means that we are not uh, constantly looking for opportunities to generate revenue. Our revenue is provided through this mechanism, which means we can support governments and authorities all over the world as part of their preparedness and their response, irrespective of whether or not there is funding available to support it. And I think a good example of that is, is our involvement in the um, incident in Brazil that, that happened in 2019. Mm. We were over there for the best part of a year, but but not on behalf of any uh, ship or insurers, but in, in support of the government uh, authorities, because the shipping community recognises that actually it's in everybody's interest to, to work together to ensure that the best methods of cleanup are used and that the you know potential harm to the environment is minimised. So that gives us complete freedom with our board support to go and support um, governments when they need our help, but there's no obvious source of, uh, of a spill. And, and we also um, did something similar in Bangladesh when there was a, a major spill there a few years ago. So, so that's an example, if you like, of how we use our resources, not just in connection with specific incidents, but uh, more widely. You, you mentioned just two examples there, Bangladesh and, and Brazil. Um, you, of course, as an institution, are, are based in the UK. So there should be, I assume, a lot of, of a lot of traveling that needs to be done and of course for a year like the one we've been through i can imagine quite a few complications or or obstacles to uh to attending cases where you need to so could you give us an idea of how the coronavirus has affected your operations and how you've had to adjust yeah that's that's an interesting uh, an interesting question and it has provided a mix of challenges and i would say opportunities for us as well so you're right. I mean, ITOF is, a, is an organisation that, that travels a great deal in delivery of our services. When it comes to responding to incidents, we have continued to do that even, even through lockdown. A lot of them we have been able to provide our advice remotely in, in the cases that have been less serious. But uh, we have been in Mauritius for weeks and uh, also in uh, Georgia for weeks on um, you know incidents there 
And it, it has been challenging for the team. It's often meant they've had to spend much longer on site. So they've, they've had to have the testing before they leave. We had one member of the team who tested positive on the way into Mauritius, which then meant they had to spend time in in the only hospital on Mauritius, uh, followed by two weeks quarantine in a in a hotel, but was on guard and, and not allowed to leave. And uh, it, it's meant that they have spent maybe five, six, seven, and, and in the latest case, almost two and a half months on-site supporting incidents. So it, it has, um, it's been hard uh, for the team, but we we're proud of the fact that we've still been able to deliver those services. And, th- and that's been largely due to the support we've had both in country and through the um, insurers and their correspondents working worldwide. And, uh, and interestingly, a lot of our training courses, um, yes, of course, some have been um, postponed, but others have taken place remotely. And we found that the level of particip- participation and the, the breadth and the scope of participation across the world has meant that our audiences have been huge and probably considerably more than we would have had if we'd... Uh, if we attended in person. So it, it is challenging our way of thinking going forward and um, how we might use the lessons, you know, to um, ensure that the services we deliver are, are uh, you know, optimised. So it's, it's provided some interesting, uh, interesting thoughts for us. I'm sure. And, and looking at the past year as well, I think one of the things we've seen quite strongly Uh, And it's, you know, it's been happening, but I think this year it feels like it's been happening a lot more, has been container ships losing boxes at sea, you know, going through these incidents where you just see containers being spilled at sea. And of course, your focus as an organization is based based on on oil spills, is, is on oil spills. But are you, have you been involved at all in the container ship spill aspect uh, and if so, what impacts have you seen when you deal with these with these cases? What environmental impacts? Now, that's a good question. And in fact, I mean, just just to be clear, our, our um, work is not just in relation to uh, oil spills. And in fact, a lot of our work over the last few years have been on other cargoes. So things like um, coal containers, as you say, uh, even cows. So <laughs> the, the spread of substances that we provide advice on has, has grown uh, considerably. But um, in response to your question about containers, then yes, we do we do get involved, and uh, we've been involved in a number of incidents, um, like for example the, the Napoli, where um, ships have gone aground with containers on board, or containers have gone over the side. Uh, and it's not just the contents that are potentially of concern. It's also the containers themselves, because if, if containers sink, then if there are fisheries in the area, then clearly um, fishermen can get their nets snagged and torn on uh, containers. It can actually cause you know, safety issues with, with the ship itself if, if the nets get caught in, in containers on the seabed. And uh, clearly the, the contents. So on, on one occasion, we had a container spill with tiny little containers inside of um, aluminium phosphide, 
which when uh, that substance gets in contact with water produces a, a, a highly dangerous gas. So we need to work very closely with the authorities to find each and every one of those containers before the, the public find them and fishermen bring them up in their nets. And then we've had uh, more recently issues with nurdles, which are the very tiny lentil sized pieces of plastic that are used to um, generate all the plastic products that, that we have. And uh, when bags of those fall out of containers and split, then there are hundreds and thousands of these nurdles all over the coastline. And trying to find them and remove them is, is a really challenging task. So, yeah, I mean, the, the, the containers are, are potentially quite problematic because of the, the difference of um, substances that are in those containers and the, and the different challenges that they pose for the cleanup. Mm. Well, hopefully these incidents will take the, the same trajectory that oil spills from tankers have taken over the past few decades. Uh, Dr. Purnell, thank you very much for your time. It's been a very interesting conversation. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.